friends, thank you for tuning in to Red Ice Creations Radio. This is Henrik Palmgren, and we are coming to you from the west coast of Sverige. Every Thursday and Sunday we have a new program available for you at redicecreations.com. And uh, this is our Sunday program, and we're almost halfway through August already. Wow, it's amazing how, how time Uh, do fly by as it were and today uh, back on the show finally we have our regular guest Alan Watt from CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com with us on the line and we are uh, going to spend some time today talking about a few interesting documents and uh, future studies about institutes and predictive programming and other agencies that are involved in, in trying to predict the future for us and leading it accordingly that way So uh, let's say hi to Alan. Welcome back to the program, my friend. Nice to have you with us again. Yeah, it's nice to have a, a phone that works now and be able to talk to you. <laughs> exactly, that's right. You got your phone uh, fried uh, last time during a, a thunderstorm and you just mentioned that you had uh, continuing storms up in Canada. Is it like uh, locally up there? Is it like in, in the entire area? What's going on? Well, they were spraying here heavily during the day. You watch them spraying and making the clouds and you end up with this big mush, then it builds up the heat because this covering of uh, metallic particles acts like mirrors and it just mirrors the reflections back and forth and it, it causes the warming which they're blaming us for in global warming. Hmm. And then at night you have uh, lots of thunderstorms. Uh, very odd thunderstorms. I sat around last week watching outside till about two or three in the morning because I've never seen thunderstorms like it. There was no sound to the thunder, mm-hmm. you could, but you could see the the lightning all around you, uh, and uh, it was continuous. Mm-hmm. And this is a new type of uh, superheating of the atmosphere through the HARP technology, in conjunction with the spraying of the skies. Mm-hmm. They're actually superheating the atmosphere and causing uh, these this, this new phenomena, this new type of lightning we've got. But uh, yeah, it fries the it fries the telephone line sometimes. Sheesh! So you got um, your your house or where you're living at your apartment got directly hit. I had a, a series of uh, it's almost like lightning balls that you see, big balls of lightning round about you, but not high up. Mm-hmm. And I had a circle around the house. Uh, this, this isn't the first time. I had it before a, a circle around the house, and it uh, I was holding the phone at the time, and it melted in my hand. Really? Is and, that uh, true? And, wow. and the following morning, every electric part on my truck was fried as well. Really? So that was that's three times it's happened so far. <laughs> Sheesh, oh my God. Wow, talk about weird, weird weather. I read a report, uh, e- even if it's true or exaggerated, exaggerated I don't know, but uh, it was about overall uh, so far uh, in 2007, and it seems to be, uh, you know, globally we have very weird weather it's tremendous droughts in some areas and flooding of course the uk and and uh, southern parts of sweden had uh, very severe flooding uh, just a few few uh, about a month ago i think and um, up here it's been like the worst summer yet it's been raining all the time you know no no uh, good summer weather as it were at all and it seems to be spreading globally and and it seems to be very kind of um, how should i say fitting According to with the with the agenda of of, of changing weather par- patterns and the climate change and all of this, and uh, of course, as you say, there is the speculation about that this is not natural in that sense, but this is actually 
uh, implemented from from above, and this is weather manipulation in order to, uh, you know, drive us further into the belief that this is man-made global warming and it's all uh, our fault. <laughs> yes, there's a there's a, a, a club, the a, a Club of Rome. The Club of Rome is one of the top global think tanks that works for the global elite, and they put a book out in the 1970s called The First uh, Global Revolution. And it was written by the two founders of the think tank. In there, uh, and they were, these were the guys who also uh, gave us all the terminology to do with global warming. But in that book, they said in the book, and people should really get a copy, you can get second-hand copies for, for about 75 cents on paperback. They say that uh, they sat round thinking of ways to unite the world and to get the people to give up their rights and be managed by the expert society. And uh, they, they discussed all possibilities. Could they use a space alien invasion theory and terrify the public? We have a common enemy mm-hmm. to unite the planet. And eventually the guy says, we hit upon the idea of, of uh, causing climatic changes. Yeah. Uh, and of course he meant by using sciences and then convincing the public that they were causing the problem so that mankind would see himself as the actual enemy of the world. Mm. And so that's in their own publication, their own book called The First Global Revolution, put out and published by the Club of Rome. Mm. And that's the top think tank for world strategy uh, (laughs) on a global level. And they give their ideas out to the other think tanks that then must implement it and market it into our minds through the media. That's right. So uh, that's from the horse's mouth. Yeah, and it's uh, as you say, it's all about that that implementation and 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 that there actually are again that there are agencies out there, you know, uh, worrying or you know worrying, but they are planning and and uh, uh, you know for for our future and for for the scenario of the future. And I and I I've kind of I see this myself very very clearly now at this point at least. Um, that the uh, that the idea of global warming is a way to implement a, a, a world government because it's uh, again talk about a global problem. You know, it's 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 like we have to have a you know a centralized power structure in order to combat this, and we have to uh, you know maintain the idea that that humans are are uh, the ones to blame for it, and uh, and this is the way to do it. I guess. I mean, I think that the uh, Al Gore thing now, 2007 also was, you know, very convenient, and it it seems to be implementing or st- starting up, really hitting hard now. And and uh, as far as I've read, the continuous reports are they're stating so far. However, they can know this, but they say that uh, we're going to continue to have more and more severe weather, uh, you know, in the years ahead. So yeah, that's right. Yes, you know the um, Al Gore's family, the Gore family, uh, were trained and financed into being. By, by Armand Hammer, mm-hmm. and and Armand Hammer was an interesting man because he was a globalist too. Mm-hmm. And although he was born in the U.S., and his father gave him the name, changed the name to Arm and Hammer <laughs> for, the, for the Soviet flag. Yeah, exactly. And that's the and he owns a big food companies today. Mm-hmm. But he was given a, a, an office next to Lenin and then Stalin. Old Armand Hammer. Okay. And, and, and then he had another office in New York. So 
sides on behalf of the world globalists. Mm. And he trained the Gore family to also take up the agenda and go on. All these guys are connected, you see. Mm, yeah, yeah. So, the, um, I mean, there's... As, as far as I see, there's like silly talk that Al Gore will will kind of jump in on the Democrat side and and continue to run for president. But at at this point, I kind of see him as the almost the, as the you know new emperor of the world, almost you know the the global uh, you know the centralized power structure. When they're going to have a president, uh, Al Gore is going to be the um, you know at this point at least the top guy for that one. I, I don't I don't know if they're going to set up a big yeah. institution. All they're doing is finding a job. For because uh, the guy cannot read very well, even his own script. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Even when he was running in the U.S. Mm -hmm. for candidacy, he kept making mistakes, tremendous mistakes, and he was very laughable. But mm -hmm. they always find jobs for the boys, as a Sure, fair. sure. <laughs> and he, so he was picked for this job. He won't be the final one. No, of but course But all he has no. to do is read his script anyway that's written by the others for him. Sure, sure, exactly. Now, that's interesting. It seems like a lot of these guys have, have the word, uh, you know, the word, trouble with the words and, and reading, you know, same way as, as Bush. I don't know if it's uh, uh, dyslexia or disease going around or something like that up there. But it's <laughs> also all the drugs they take and, and snorting of cocaine and stuff. And yeah, that They're all be into it. that at the top. Sure, that could be it, actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know what? I saw. Uh, I was um, looking at your website, and you have a web. Uh, have a document up up on your website right now, called uh, a UK Department of Defence document. Uh, is it? And it's titled Development Concepts and Doctrine Center Global Strategic Trends Program 2007 to 2000, uh, 2036. Um, and I find this kind of. This is about. Again, future studies, as we mentioned, uh, find this very interesting, uh, and especially if it comes from a defense department or some kind of military or government institution. It's a 106-page long document, and I, I guess you have done a detailed uh, analysis of it already, but maybe you could give us uh, an, an outline. What, what What is it about? Well, it first broke into the public realm, uh, the findings of this think tank. Now, this think tank is the premier or top think tank for the Department of Defense for Britain. But it's also the top think tank for, for basically NATO, all NATO countries. So the agenda that it foresees for the future is for a good part of the world. And now they go through a whole scenario of um, what's to happen in the near up to the, 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 the future, to, to the year 2030, 31, around mm. there. Mm. And all they foresee and predict is, is um, mob uprisings within the European and America's uh, countries. Mm. But they don't tell us why there'd be uprisings amongst the people. And the uprisings that they're talking about, like flash mobs and all these terms that they have now, mm. where suddenly people will just get form mobs and get very angry. Um, they don't tell you why the mobs have become very angry. And they're talking about the everyday citizen in these countries. Mm -hmm. So whatever they... See, they know the agenda. They know that under the Kyoto, they're going to cut back all energy consumption to pre-1960s level, maybe even pre-1950s. Mm -hmm. They know the impact that's going to have on all of the public. They're also going to cut back on food supplies because... Under the, the UN Charter, 
they eventually are supposed to be in charge of all the world's food. Mm-hmm. And they are to distribute it to, to each country. And it will be up to each country not to allow its population to go over a certain amount. If they do, you'll still get the same rations and you'll have to deal with the overpopulation problem. That's mm-hmm. from the United Nations. Mm-hmm. So all of this is to kick in gradually, you see. Yeah. And it's going to be population reduction. There's going to be energy reduction until obviously uh, if they keep uh, cutting back on oil or price it out of existence, Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people won't be able to even heat themselves in the cities. (laughs) So you're looking at chaos ahead, and they know this because uh, that's the agenda, it's it's the plan. Yeah, exactly. And they've been preparing to to combat this, you see, and keep control over the the Europeans and the Americans. Mm -hmm. Uh, So what they predict is that they'll have all this high-tech weaponry, which they have, both lethal and non-lethal weaponry. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's also technotronic weaponry, which can be fired through satellites and arrays of satellites. That's what the Star Wars program is really for. Mm -hmm. Or they can use it in conjunction with HARP. (laughs) So there'll be forms of mind control to keep us all placid and calm or, or drugged almost. Yeah. There's also the aerial spraying program because they have vast quantities. That was admitted by Rumsfeld to of, of aerosolized Prozac and Valium and other drugs to spray over vast areas mm. <laughs> to calm the populace if there's another crisis. Yeah. So I believe they're already doing that. Sheesh, yeah. And um, uh, However, they're also willing to use neutron bombs on the public which destroy all organic life. Or really? protoplasmic life, like humans, yeah, really. and leave all the infrastructure intact, and that's from the top think tank that <laughs> works for 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 Britain. Oh my God, sheesh! Uh-huh. You know, uh, one thing uh, right away that that I can uh, uh, bring up here is uh, there was a report not that many weeks ago. Uh, I think it was actually on Swedish television, if I remember correct. And uh, this actually talked about because of the phasing out of the, of the of the old fuel, meaning oil in this case, and and that that more and more we're choosing you know ethanol as as a new fuel. Um, they mentioned that uh, prices on on fu- on some some food uh, actually will go up because this was a battle now between uh, growing crops for ethanol fuel or or for the the food itself. And there has been a number of reports stating that you know prices will go up, uh, or and you have to basically we're we're put in front of this scenario that we have to choose between you know food and fuel and whatever we're going to choose is going to be much much more uh, you know expensive than before. And there were, had some lady on from the World Food Program I think uh, talking about this and and they did comparisons meaning that. Either the people in Africa are gonna, you know, starve, or you'll have to drive your car for for the same, you know, fuel, uh, either made from ethanol, or you know, she's gonna have the, uh, they are gonna have the food to eat. So again, they're putting us in front of this scenario um, where where we're causing this to each other, and and they're creating this very, uh, a- again, they're hitting hitting like the, uh, um, how should I put it, your. Um, Um, you know, they they target your emotions and uh, they target your that you should feel feel guilt in, in for you know what you're doing if you drive your car or whatever. And there's and one thing that really strikes me is that that there is never any mention of 
The real al alternatives to energies like the French uh, air car that are developing now, they have, of course, motors running, as far as I know, on, on water. They had some guy in, in America a few years back that actually was murdered that had a, uh, an, an, an engine that, that could run on water. And it's interesting that Al Gore and these guys, you know, talking about the environmental and all of this, never bring up any new technological solutions to this problem. And that right there shows you, at least uh, to me, that that this is not this is not the you know the real agenda that they're after here. There's something more, I guess. You know, they're they're. Yeah, when I was small, I looked at the histories of of engineering, especially to do with cars and vehicles, and I realized that really, regardless of how many outer styles they make of a, a car, an automobile, it's the same basic engine, even with fuel injection, which is which even then with fuel injection had been tried in the early 1900s by uh, military uh, manufacturers. Mm. So there's nothing new in it. And I, and I thought, you know, how come they've never modified it? Until I, I read many, many, many years ago when I was young, I read a lot of the UN documentation, and to do with select areas to be used in the future for habitat areas, that's now published under Agenda 21 mm, for yeah. the 21st century, with all to be moved into these overcrowded cities, uh, which they'll call habitat areas, mm, yeah. and then the population is gradually, gradually reduced, but there's to be no private motor vehicles allowed according to the United Nations, mm. in ultimately in these habitat areas. So the plan is to phase out our ability to travel independently. Yeah. They said there'll be uh, essential vehicles only, <laughs> uh, which is like police, military, etc., yeah. in the future. So for all the reasons they're given us, it's nothing to do with any truth. Yeah. Uh, there's no shortage of oil at all. Yeah. In fact, I've got old school books uh, from Canada with um, whole chapters on the oil uh, findings in Canada, even Ontario here, of hundreds of wells which were found and capped, mm, yeah. never to be used, in the 1920s. Mm. I remember going over the North Sea often when I went across to Norway and Sweden, and I'd meet um, uh, executives for British Petroleum and, and uh, Dutch Oil and all the rest of them, and they'd talk to you on the ship, and and these guys told me uh, many times that they were finding so much oil that enough oil under the North Sea at that time mm. uh, uh, to, to supply the world for a few hundred years just <laughs> from there. Yeah. yeah exactly. So, so there's nothing to do with shortages. It's the public once again that must be convinced to move into a new way of living, which is simply a form of more control. It's a way of living where you won't be able to decide anything for yourself because. We're all to be run by a world of experts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. That's all it is. Yeah, and we're going to be a uh, planned society. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And we're going to be in this mega cities, as you say, a, f a few, I guess, um, you know, on the planet, very large cities. And uh, uh, I mean, people are getting more and more sterile. Uh, so that's one thing. And and then there could be an implementation of of some kind of, uh, you know one child per family program that is you know in like it's in in china now they're gonna but i i don't think they're gonna uh, make it make it a law they're probably gonna make something 
uh, a hip thing that you choose, you know, so so you don't uh, get more than one child per family, and they're gonna uh -huh. implement it by by some kind of uh, fashion means propaganda or whatever, and people are gonna want to have it that way anyway. So I guess they're, <laughs> you know, either way you turn it, it's a win-win scenario. Do, do you know what what how you know how many people? I, I've heard this before that they want to have a, a population on the planet that is about. I guess 500 million in total, something like that. Uh, that would that would mean at this point that 5.5 billion, you know, have to have to be, you know, eradicated, as it were. Um, yeah. Do you know if this is a number, you know, that that comes up now and again, or is it is is, is it more or less than than 500 million? Do you know? Uh, for a while, see what they're looking at here is a lot. These guys don't have final solutions. See, we always think in some big catastrophe. That's that's the normal human way. Yeah. We're dealing with families here who, who deal with history and the future intergenerationally. So they can plan to carry something out over 50 or 100, 200 or even 300 years. Mm. So they, they do foresee a time where they can convince and rear children to worship, in a, in a sense, Mother Earth. Mm. And Michael Gorbachev talked about that in his own book um, called Towards a New Civilization. Hmm. He said that, uh, now he admits in the book that he himself is an atheist. But hmm. then he says, in the next chapter, he says, we, meaning this global elite, you see, that's his part, is to deal with this part of the strategy. Sure. He said, we are creating a new world religion, which is based and must be based on a form of earth worship. Mm -hmm. So they foresee a time, obviously, when they can rear children, indoctrinate them scientifically, which is already being done, mm -hmm. and the children themselves will volunteer for sterilization <laughs> to save Mother Earth. Oh my! It will seem quite logical, to, and they'll probably give them certain um, public bonuses and certain privileges for doing so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're going to be. Uh, yeah, exactly. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You're right with the figure. The 500 million. Um, it is the figure that keeps coming up now. Mm -hmm. uh, Jacques Cousteau talks about it, the man who loved the fish and the animals, didn't like humans very much, especially the general public. Mm. And um, and others have, have mentioned the same figures. Now, the World Wildlife Society is a big player in all this. The big, big foundations are big players in social agendas. Mm -hmm. And they all network together in their own specialized area. The, the World Wildlife Fund have, have uh, at least three that they admit to, three ARCs, they call them, mm -hmm. which are cryogenic laboratories, big, huge facilities. And uh, the public broadcasting television in Canada did a documentary on one of them that's based in Louisiana. Mm -hmm. And it's a huge facility, big grounds with, and new buildings. And the professor, the, the lady that was in charge of it, is also a professor at uh, the University of Louisiana mm -hmm. uh, itself. And uh, she showed around the facility. She says, we have pretty well every genotype, every gene type of every insect, plant, animal, and even humans mm -hmm. in this laboratory. She said, we have three worldwide. And not only do they have the genes there, they have done all the experimental processes to perfect um, test tubing them, if you like, and inserting them into any kind of donor. In other words, you could put 
a mountain lion, uh, the sperm and the egg fertilized, mm. into the womb of a dog or a cow or, or maybe even a human <laughs> and bring it to a certain term and then bring it out by cesarean section yeah. and it will be perfect. So everything has been tried and tested. And when she was asked the purpose of this, she said, well, if there's ever a global catastrophe, then we have three of these arcs worldwide yeah. where we can draw from and basically repopulate or reseed the planet. That's right. And and we have talked about this before. Uh The, about the, uh, the there's another uh, facility in in Svalbard up uh, in Norway uh, called Global Crop Diversity Trust and uh, this is actually a seed uh, seed storage bank basically uh, deep into to a mountain up there and uh, I think it's a thir- uh, let's see here it says a 37.5 million uh, dollar seed storage plan uh, that will help surf, safeguard crops vital for developing nations for <laughs> global warming and other threats, uh, yeah. the head of the UN-backed team said on Thursday. And interestingly enough, $300 million dollars actually comes from uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. How about that? <laughs> yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, exactly. And then again, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the space station... Uh, the International Space Station. If you speak the word, it's ISIS, International Space Station. That's ISS. right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that's another major one um, in case of, not just of, of a catastrophe that got out of hand, something they start mm-hmm. and can't control, but I think it'll be a planned, a planned, whatever happens will be planned because the sciences they have, with unlimited financing from the, the taxpayer of the whole world, Yeah. Um, it means they can draw on so many resources. They have advanced sciences that, that are kept quiet from the public, yeah. just like they've been spraying us for 10 years now, solid, yeah. Yeah. from the skies on a global uh, uh, program. Then they also have these advanced sciences. All the stuff that you saw in Star Trek series from the 1960s mm. didn't come out of the imagination of Gene Roddenberry. Uh, every episode of Star Trek had a an allegory of a reality which they could already, they knew they could produce. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the Gene Rodenberry was a member of NASA, mm-hmm. which also is a big think tank for planning the scientific part of the future. NASA is not concerned about the exploration of space. That's for the public's benefit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. NASA, its whole job is a military program, and all most of their their, their Uh, experiments in space and their satellites are putting up were actually intended for now, the time coming up now, for total observation of the planet mm, yeah. and for, for the Star Wars technology where they can literally, in conjunction with HARP, uh, they can literally uh, fire uh, you know, different kinds of scalar weaponry at the planet itself. Of course. That's the real function of NASA. Yeah, and... Uh I think basically when you when you get down to it, studying all of, all of these different things that pop up, everything from underground bases to these uh, vaults that they're setting up, gene banks, storages, whatever. Even this in Svalbard is referred to as the Doomsday Vault. I mean, isn't that you know telling you something right there? And you know, I, th- I think it basically is about the uh, they're gonna terminate, as it were, this round. You know, they're gonna end off. Uh, this particular time that we're on now, 
and basically they want to start start anew. I, I, uh, that's what I see in a way that they want to create some havoc is, on, on the surface. You, you know, know, this this was discussed 500 years ago. Mm-hmm. This this phase that we're coming up to now, we're in, was discussed with the higher secret societies that emerged in the open mm-hmm. 500 years ago under the different terms, and one of the terms being Rosicrucian, not the kind that you have today where you send away for their booklets, mm-hmm. um, but the actual underground stream. What they meant by that is those who had collected the sciences down through the ages and kept them secret from the populace. Hmm. And you'll find even in the, the quatrains, the quatrains of Nostradamus is meant for, the, for those who understand. That's why the exoteric, it's very interesting, the exoteric... Um, captures the minds of the general public mm-hmm. uh, but that's only the outer shell to mm-hmm. confuse you uh, but the esoteric understandings of the quatrains is a coded version and when you understand the codes you understand that they were planning a future even then yeah and so you find uh, that, that, that nostradamus talked about this particular era and he said that an angel from the east now this could be missile whatever mm-hmm. Because these guys were no dummies. These guys were experts in sciences. Mm-hmm. And they had knowledges accumulated for thousands of years. And he said uh, uh, um, it would come from the east and ignite the sky. <laughs> and those who would survive would be, uh, apart from some deep underground or inside mountains, yeah. this falls right in with, with uh, um, Francis Bacon's New Atlantis, where he talks about the Americas where they'd live inside mountains in deep underground. Nostradamus mm, yeah. talks about the mansion in the sky, the house in the sky, where, where the elite would live. <laughs> really? We'll look down on this as it happens. Yeah. Jeez. And that's the space station. Yeah. My God. Or basis on the moon or something like that, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. So, I mean, yeah, exactly. And, and it seems to, to be, uh, if this is... Uh, uh, an, another form of, um, you know, as you say, earth worship in that sense that, that is going in. It seems to be a strive for almost creating a new, again, you know, a new Garden of Eden where, you know, the, the planet is, you know, reborn again, fresh, and, and all the pestilence of the old humans are gone, you know, <laughs> the, kind of that type yeah, of scenario. For, for the most ancient times, the high secret societies have always said, even to the present day, that their job is to perfect all that was left imperfect. Mm-hmm. They're talking about plants, animals, the earth itself, and especially humans. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, that's the Genesis project you're talking about. Exactly, yeah. And that's why they had that in the Star Trek, the, the, the Genesis pro, the starting anew. Mm-hmm. And they used to couch it in different terminology, Again, 500 years ago, they called it the underground stream, those who had the knowledge of the flow of knowledge for thousands of years, mm. knowing that no one else planned the future, and therefore, whatever they planned and could work together intergenerationally for, they could actually accomplish. Hmm. And that's true. If no one else is planning a future, those who are planning it and who take over the money supply and probably give you the money supply to begin with, yeah. <laughs> uh, could, can always pull off what they plan because no one else is planning. 
Yeah, the, exactly. That's right. I mean, who? I mean, and that's also why many people have difficulty realizing that there that there actually are people planning for the future because they themselves are often so busy, so stressed, you know, worried about you know very mundane things, as it were, important to some some degree, but but mundane yet, uh, you know, paying the bills, you know, the, all the all the day day to day chores, basically. Yeah. But but up there on the top, you know, you have you have servants walking around handling all the all the domestic stuff for them, and these guys can sit around plan for you know future generations or whatever. It's like a, it's a totally different you know scenario, and it's it's a, it's a totally different way of 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 living a life. And and I think that people have to get that first you know into their head their idea that all people doesn't you know don't don't live the way that they do, and all people don't think the way that they do. You know. So what about? It looks back even mm-hmm. to um, like 200 years ago, 250, 300 years ago, in Europe, especially in Britain, you had a feudal society with a feudal system where the peasantry were given the only education they had was from the church. That's all they knew about what they thought was reality. Mm-hmm. And then the Rothschilds, Lord Rothschild, introduced a bill into Parliament, and it was called the Corn Laws. Mm-hmm. An idea was that for the first time, he and others would bring in to Britain huge quantities of crops in order to get all the small peasant farmers off the land and into the cities because they, need, they needed to get people in to work in industry that was just taking off then. Mm-hmm at that time. And that was the first creation of the, the, the planned habitat, these awful cities, where they were crowded in uh, like ants together, mm. and they worked 16 hours a day. Yeah. Well, this is a continuation with habitat areas using similar means to, to get us all off the roads, out of the rural areas, into the big cities. It's the same ongoing agenda, planned and put forward and financed by the same families. Mm. They were doing it say, 300 years ago. If, so we, if, you know, understand if, this. It's quite easy to plan a future mm-hmm. when you have everyone living and trained to live on this odd, strange thing called money, mm-hmm. and we're trained at school to just go out and work and collect money. Yeah. Not food, not friends, not it, just money. Yeah. And and um, and who runs the money? So we all accept money because we're indoctrinated. It's the only system they have given us, in fact. Yeah, and because of that, it's the only system that we know. That's right. And we forget the people at one time lived without money, <laughs> yeah. a long, long time ago, and much they were much happier for it. Yeah, I think much so. more humane. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. So, so these so. guys with money knew even thousands of years ago, especially from about 800 BC when they brought in coin. Mm-hmm. They knew that they could, by selective breeding, keep. The power and the monies intact. In fact, the money would grow as they, as they married others with money mm. and interbreed. They knew that they could plan any kind of future for thousands of years in the future and train their children to take over and have institutions even then working. Mm. Today we call them think tanks and foundations, but would have these, these, these foundations working towards their agenda generation by generation by generation and therefore nothing. Could be impossible. <laughs> Nothing. Wow. 
and there it is, the, the system, that is, that is the beast, you know, again, we get kind of desensitized to the, to the idea, because we're so accustomed to it, and it has been a part of us the entire life, but many people, you know, seldomly actually take that time to, to get the perspective, to actually think about what the money is, and what is doing to our, you know, civilization, and humanity as, as a whole, you know, yeah. incredible, it's, as you say, it's a beast, and the system is, is it's a self-perpetuating, um, you know, self-sustaining organism that is taken over and just, you know, <laughs> running. And, and in some in instances, even, I think, even uh, institutions and, and uh, uh, you know, they, be, they become self, the, the, the interest is about keeping the institutions going in order for the people in there to actually have... Uh, have a work or something to do to have the income it's it's so many of these facets that are connecting here and and much of the root of this of this problem as you say i think also actually does ties back to the fact of, of money you're, you're right there yeah it's all that um see money in the old old hebrew and aramaic used to be mean men you counted you got up on a on a on a, a box and you counted the heads of people mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that, they, those were your slaves and so money, it comes from mon, money, yeah. from man. Uh-huh. And, and, and that's all it is. It's a substitute for, uh, for slavery. It's a more sophisticated form, as Charles Galton Darwin talked about. Yeah. And he had no problem with slavery. He said there has always existed in this system. He meant civilization, mm-hmm. meaning money. Mm-hmm. Uh, slavery in one form or of another. And he said we are simply introducing a new form of slavery, a more sophisticated form of slavery. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And they have done it. <laughs> they have. I actually saw this uh, brilliant Star Trek episode, speaking of Star Trek, that actually was uh, about a planet that where, where the uh, equivalent of the Roman Empire never collapsed. And what they had did was that they... Uh, the Roman Empire basically expanded for two two thousand years more than here on Earth, and uh, they've developed a system where <laughs> actually they took slavery to the point where where it was you know the slaves have benefit, they had a, a salary and all this, and basically it was all the things that we have today in that sense that we have you know <laughs> we have taken care of you in some sense. You have the basic little health care, you have somewhere to live, you know, but you have to pay the rent and then you have the money. It's all you know it's it's and uh, because with the amount of money that we actually can um, you know save up as it were, we can never you know do any major damage uh, damage you know to to the system it's all it's all just to sustain you at the moment basically and to to get you through to the the next day basically that's it you know yeah the, the money is the first trick to steal real wealth mm. because real wealth is barter and barter is between two people who exchange items of necessity and they decide on how many sacks of this is worth so many sacks of that <laughs> Mm-hmm. Money came in as a substitute with a middleman, and once they convinced the two negotiators that this is just as good as that sack of oats, and 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 you started to believe him. After a generation, he starts dictating the purchasing power of that money. Mm-hmm. So you have no say in it now. He now rules you, and because of that, he can then take back your labor, and that's all it is. Mm-hmm. He takes back your labor because you earned so many hours in to get, to get that coin or that paper note or whatever it is. Mm. And he takes it back in the form of taxation. When, when even Lenin and all those, and they worked for the, they were trained by the top bankers. 
the left wing was trained by the top bankers yeah. because communism is a dialectic of capitalism. That's and so yeah. Lenin knew, and, and he said the same thing, that, um, <coughs> that um, uh, people who are taxed by the state for, for money, mm. the state is simply taxing back so much of their labor that is spent that, ye- that week earning the money. <laughs> so it's a sophisticated form of slavery. Mm, yeah. Because you don't think of it as slavery. Of course. You're born into it. Your parents don't know. They won't know to tell you. So you think it's quite natural that the government should take up, up to 50 or 60% of your earnings back. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, in most cases, all, uh, you know, wishes and, and dreams are found within the material world nowadays. So people don't think of themselves as slaves because they have the opportunity to buy themselves the nice stuff and everything is provided for you within the system and the structure itself. So people don't even think outside that box and, and, and take a look at what they're actually part of because, you know, there's something to strive for within the system itself now, you know. Yes, even though what they strive for is they stop and think about it, they don't own any of it. Yeah, they think right. they do. That's right, yeah. But if you pay tax on your home, uh, and if you do not pay your taxes, you'll find if you own that home or not very quickly. Mm. Because in comes the government and they steal your home. Mm. Yeah. They have different words for it, but stealing is still stealing, you see. Yeah, exactly. And they steal your home from you because you couldn't. Now, when the mafia ran New York and Chicago, the mafia would go around all the stores and they would say, give me some money for protection. Mm. And you would say, well, protection against whom? Mm. They say, from us. Mm. <laughs> You see, yeah. or we'll burn your place down, or or kick you, or kill you, and and take your property. Yeah, yeah. So that was called extortion. You see. Yeah. Now, when the government does it, it's called taxation, mm, exactly. or they'll reclaim or possess your home. Yeah. Different terminology to change the perception of the same event. Mm. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, isn't that wonderful how they manage to turn it all around? And <laughs> well, you go. Uh, I get turtles here. Big, big snapping turtles and they go along the road and across the field mm-hmm. huge things that sometimes are a meter long with a shell mm-hmm. and he carries his, his home on his back mm-hmm. now if I try to pull that shell off that turtle he's going to bite me mm-hmm. because I'm going to try to take his home from him sure sure <laughs> so even the animals know no hey you can't take that this is nature mm-hmm. and I have the right by nature mm-hmm. to have a, a roof over my head mm-hmm. We're the only creature that works our lives and kill, we kill ourselves and have heart attacks trying to get a house. Mm. <laughs> and then you pay all the taxes trying to keep the house. Each time they go up and up and up. Yeah. And, and so we never get the time to enjoy anything, really. And, um, and then when you die anyway, the government comes in and even takes it back from death, death duties. Mm, yeah. Because even when you're dead, you're going to pay taxes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I talked to uh, an agent in the federal government in Canada a while ago, and I was told uh, quite candidly that they they talk about it amongst themselves. He says, everybody works for the government. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We all work for the government. All of us. Hmm. So we're all slaves. And it's, uh, as you said, the the natural laws... uh of, of you know nature or the universe or whatever is taken away from us the the right to sustain yourself in, in that sense I mean uh, 
I, I don't know if there's any place left in the world where, where you actually can go out into the forests and actually, you know, build your own house and, <laughs> you know, how, uh, you know, uh, plant crops and stuff and, and uh, grow your own food. Uh, there might be some places where they actually don't discover you or something like that, but but if it's uh, doable by law, I have no idea. But it it feels like it's it's no place left on the planet now. You'd have to be. Uh, there are a couple of places, but I won't tell them because it'll become crowded if I do. <laughs> That's right. But uh, yeah. um, <laughs> I, I think for as far as Europe and the West goes, um, it's a matter of looking at the the, the big vast expanses. Mm where you can become nomadic. Hmm. See, in ancient times, before we became an agricultural-based society, which was ne- necessary for the money system, mm. we used to be nomadic. Yeah. And we were like gypsies, a natural way. We'd travel with the seasons to different places. So did the American Indians. Mm-hmm. So they'd have a different camp in the summer. They'd move to another camp in the, in, in the autumn, another one for the winter. And you go to the high grounds, in the summer and the low grounds in the winter. Mm-hmm. And so you had all these, and that was a big adventure for the whole tribe, sure. fighting. Sure. And it's something natural about moving like that and settling and moving. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the, they call civilization the settling of us into these these camps, you might say, of, of uh, agriculture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in came the money system to go with it and the priesthoods to dominate your mind mm, yeah. and then, then the taking back of tithes or taxations from you. Sure. So yeah. he ended up working for the high priesthood at one time. Yeah. Nothing I, has changed. That's right. And there's many other aspects to whites bad or in, in most cases, you know, in agri- speaking of agriculture, we grow, we have these monocultures and huge fields and we plant on the same soil over and over again. But, um, you know, to leave nature and and to have its you know let let nature run its cause on its own own areas and actually moving around instead of exploiting one area and then moving to the next because it's depleted or whatever you know of nutrition it's yeah. you know <laughs> so many things that is wrong with that way but that's right anyway. so we, we, we there are all and that's what I mean too because when a child is born into a system and the parents haven't questioned it. Mm. The child will not question it either. He'll think it's quite now. Na- everything that exists was going to be natural to him. That's right. And in other words, and that's what Lenin said. He said Lenin. Lenin said there are a thousand directions society could go mm. in ways of living. Mm. And he said, but the public must not know this. They <laughs> must be taught to believe that the one they're born into is the only natural one that could have evolved. Mm-hmm. And that's that's how simple this is. That's right. There are so many ways we could live. However, all of those ways, those alternate ways, even being nomadic, for instance, or tribal, mm. wandering, even that would destroy the control of the elitist system. Mm. And mm. that's why they've tried to uh, eliminate all those loopholes to sustain yourself, because under the Charter of the United Nations, it says interdependence is the only way that will be allowed. Mm. Interdependence means there will be no independence, yeah, yeah. <laughs> either between nations or between individuals. Everyone is to be interdependent on the system for all of their needs. <clears throat> and, uh, and speaking of that, I, I did want to bring up a, an, an article that I had up on uh, RedEyesCreations.com a few weeks ago. Uh, and the article is actually called Scientists on Acid, uh, the story behind changing images of man. 
and was picked up from a website called uh, skilluminati.com. And the, the piece was about a document called uh, Changing Images of Man from uh, from the Stanford Research Institute, a very interesting article. Uh, Changing Images of Man was an attempt to identify and assess the plausibility of a truly vast number of future possibilities for society. And it goes on to say, uh, we next followed a method of analysis that determined which sequence of possible futures, that is, which alternate future histories uh, appear to be the most plausible in light of human history and to most usefully serve the needs of policy research and development. Uh, And in this article, it also stated that the Funding for this uh, SRI project was provided by something called the Charles, Charles F. Kettering Foundation, and, and they also found a very similar pro- project that was called uh, the Alternative Futures Project. Um, and this was headquartered, I think, at the uh, say, yeah, University of Illinois, and the guys involved in this project was uh, Charles Osgood and Stuart Umpleby, and they wrote a report that was entitled A Computer-Based Exploration of Alternative Futures for Mankind 2000. And the report uh, was included in something called uh, Mankind 2000. That was a book. And there was one very interesting paragraph from this report <clears throat> that I want to read here. And uh, it says like this, In the organization of civilization of the future, we anticipate that the individualistically oriented man will become an anachronism. Indeed, he will be viewed as a threat to the group organization as well as to his fellow man. Hence, as stated, he in all likelihood will have few individual expectations. While such a picture may not be pleasant to contemplate, when viewed with our present orientation and value judgment, we would be we would be amiss to deal with unrealistic imagery that would blind us to the future reality. So, so there you have it. If this uh, is the idea of what the future will be, uh, you know, I bet that the people who pay for these studies and and make sure that they are you know that they're done these studies, they're going to make strategic planning uh, t- towards this kind of scenario of the future. Yeah, that was the whole idea. Uh, that we're going towards with the brain chip because at the major meetings they had at Loyola University, the the world meetings and this was sponsored by the US Department of Commerce Mm -hmm. they said that the brain chip is ready to go and once this is inserted there will be no such thing as individuality yeah, exactly it'll be more like the hive, that's what he said Yeah, but it'll be impossible for an individual to even perceive of themselves as a distinct, separate individual. Yeah. And they've always had this goal because when they had the big discussions and debates of the beginning of Marxism, which was born, remember, in London and and sponsored and paid for in London, mm-hmm. uh, they, they said that the end product will be the end of individuality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was their goal. Exactly. And uh, exactly, the individual-oriented man will become an anachronism and... And as, as it's said there, he, he would also become a threat eventually, meaning that if you're a person that, you know, don't want to join the hive, if you don't want to, you know, be, be in the collectivism, whatever it might be, whatever ism it might be that you don't want to join, uh, 
you're going to be viewed as a threat. You're going to either be, you know, <laughs> hunted down or taken care of, or people will, you know, freeze you out totally, so you become a, um, you know, hermit in in any way. So it's this. Yes, they had that. You know, they had that in Star Trek too. You know, mm -hmm. in the early series, when they land on a planet and everyone has a brain chip in them, mm -hmm. and they all they all say, "Are you off the body?" <laughs> their expression as they greeted each other. Okay. And mm. then eventually they found out that it was a supercomputer that had run this planet for thousands of years, keeping the society as it was, and it literally controlled everybody's mind. Uh, so every, they understood this whole agenda when they wrote Star Trek. As I say, Rodenberry was a member of NASA. He knew the agenda, and he was told to write it into an exciting story mm -hmm. so that we'd become familiar with the idea, and that's called predictive programming. You know, I, I, it actually comes into existence. We accept it as a natural progression. Yeah, you know, it's very interesting actually that you mentioned that episode because I think I actually saw that episode uh, last night, if I remember correctly. I think it was called the Apple. I can link it up to the programming info page in, in case people want to look at it. It was available on YouTube, and and you're right, it was a very interesting episode. So <laughs> take a look yeah. at that. Yeah. So oh they, they know the agenda. Mm. These, uh, see, all these science fiction writers either take their orders from NASA, mm -hmm. because NASA says, we want the public to do this in 50 years, so you program it through fiction into an exciting way in story form and get them used to the idea. Mm -hmm. And the other big group is the Futurist Think Tank, the Futurist Society. Mm -hmm. All the major authors of science fiction go there, and they're given grants to write stories around particular topics, which they're told to write about. So mm -hmm. yeah. uh, everything is organized in this system. Mm. to control our minds, to prepare our minds for what we think of as inevitable, mm. so that we accept it calmly when it actually comes into into being. Mm. And that's predictive programming. Yeah. And I think the, uh, the the solution here to, to, to this kind of, of a problem that we're facing is to uh, to remain strong as an as an individual, to to follow your own line, do do your own thinking, and and uh, and not you know care about what whatever the <laughs> the hive or the herd is 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 up to or is doing. I mean, they could go rampant on their own, and and as as long as at least as long as there is some place where you actually can live that is with outside, uh, you know, the either if it's a it's a huge city, you know, where where they have. A, um, you know, either we have to have a ship to be in there, or or if it's uh, some other external thing, electromagnetically, or or something that is happening. But as long as at least we can, you know, there is a possibility to live on the countryside or a wee bit outside, uh, and and do your own thinking and develop your own and live your own life and follow your own uh, trends. I think that that is the best solution to it all. And as long as people, uh, you know, want to be in that kind of uh, group mentality or, or, a, or a hive or whatever um, and if they have that sense or that background or, or even if they're programmed into doing it I think that when people are ready to, to turn away from that or to develop their own individuality or when something happens to them that actually makes them to awaken I think they'll be ready to move out from that but, but until that time I don't see it, I don't see it as in, in a way uh, to be our job to to, to try to break these people from that mold, 
it feels like many of these people, as I said, kind of want want to be in that scenario as as it is now. A lot of people, and they've done all the studies on it, to see how effective. Now, 80% of the public are hypnotics, and Aldo Huxley talked about this mm. in the speech he gave at Berkeley back in the 1960s. Mm, oh yeah, yeah. And that was from Tavistock Institute. So these were these were accurate figures that they'd they'd done surveys over many years and found it to be consistent. Mm. 80% of the public are instantly hypnotizable, meaning at all times, at all times, they are suggestible. So they never question the reality as it's been presented to them mm-hmm. from birth. Mm-hmm. Uh, 20% more need more work, uh, maybe twice as long uh, to, pr- to prepare them to, uh, to be hypnotized, mm-hmm. which only leaves 20% in any generation who cannot be in- uh, hypnotized. <laughs> So, so the target of the elite have always been the individuals within that 20%. Mm. <laughs> now, within that 20% of more aware people, you'll find some who commit suicide in the young because, mm. they, because they can't fit into the society. Mm, yeah. uh, they, they don't have the knowledge to realize, no, they're not failures. It's the system that's rigged. It's all phony. Yeah. And so there's only a small percentage comes through into adult life and acquires the knowledge of wisdom of what's really going on. Mm. And that's the group that they decided hundreds of years ago would be their major problem at this crucial time. Mm. And and that's why they're going after the individuality. Yeah. They said yeah. that China being the model state for the world, they'll use those techniques of either social approval or social disapproval to alienate uh, that small percentage of individualistic-minded mm. people. Mm. Now, in China, that's what they use uh, for a woman who's now pregnant with a second child. Mm. They don't have to bring the militia or the police now to take her to the abortion clinic. They've got the public so conditioned, mm. the neighbors, if when they, when they notice, will drag her to the abortion clinic. That's called so, the creation of instilled social disapproval, mm-hmm. Pavlovian technique mm-hmm. with most people. That's right, the, the self, self-policing, self they don't even need, a, as you say, a force to implement that because it's self-sustaining. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Do you, by the way, Therefore, do you... Therefore, the mm-hmm. same technique will be brought in with those individuals who will not succumb. Uh, the, the, the 80% in society who are who live in a world of hypnosis mm, yeah. and suggestibility and, and their IDs are marketed right into their brains. <laughs> they will shun uh, the individual. They'll be taught to shun the individual. Of course. Just like religious groups would do with people who didn't want to, to, to continue be with a, them. Yeah, exactly. Be a part of that. We are going to continue with our second hour with Alan Watt for our subscribers. And we are going to talk about television, pharmaceuticals, vaccines, sacrifice, population control, and the acclimatization of the culture of death, among other things. Check out our subscriber section on redicecreations.com if you want to find out more on how to get full access to our radio archive. Before we finish off this segment, I also want to mention Alan's websites. Cutting through thematrix.com and alanwhatsentinentsentinel.eu. Articles, audio blurbs, books, and DVDs are up there for you to check out. Thanks to producer Fredrik Kalmgren for handling the audio, and thanks to you for tuning in. 
We will be back on Thursday. Until then, take good care. The website is redicecreations.com. Can you please?